Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. All right, well, with today's episode, we are going to start with Chapter 2 of Albert Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry. Chapter 2 is called The Legendary History of Freemasonry. For every ancient nation, there is a prehistoric and a historic period. The prehistoric period is then that earlier stage of existence which has left to us no records to prove the truth of the events that have been credited to it. Such remains as we possess of that period are quite often made up of myths and legends, founded, some of them, in all probability, on a tangling of historical facts, and others are indebted entirely to the imagination for their invention. The historic period is that which begins with that account of events which is supported by documents, either of the same date as the events themselves, or so recently after them as to have nearly all the strength of promptly recorded evidence. Just such a division of periods as this we find in the history of Freemasonry. The prehistoric period, to which belongs what is most commonly styled the legendary history, includes the time, remote or more recent, of the rise and progress of the institution and the legends detailing events said to have occurred, but having no proof of their occurrence other than that of mouth-to-ear tradition unsupported by that sort of documentary evidence which is necessary to give a reliable character to a historical statement. The historic period of Freemasonry begins with the time from which we have written or printed records to furnish the necessary testimony that the events mentioned did actually occur. In treating of the history of nations, scholars have found great difficulty in precisely defining the limits of separation between the prehistoric and the historic periods. As in natural history, it is almost impossible to place the exact boundary line between any two neighboring classes of the kingdoms of nature so as to distinguish the highest species of a vegetable from the lowest of an animal organization. So in political history, it is difficult to tell when the prehistoric period ends and the historic begins. In Freemasonry, we meet with the same difficulties, and these are increased according to the different standpoints from which we view the institution. Suppose we adopt the theory, as has been done by a few writers too iconoclastic in their views, that speculative Masonry never was anything but that which its present organization presents, with grand lodges, grand masters, and a ritual of distinct degrees. Then we are compelled to place the commencement of the historic era at that event in the second decade of the 18th century, which has been called the Revival. If, with more liberal views, we entertain the opinion that speculative masonry was founded on and is the offspring of the old operative system of the stonemasons, then we must extend our researches to at least the Middle Ages. There we shall find abundant documents, evidence of the existence and character of the operative parent to which the Freemasonry of the present day, by a well-marked succession, has fallen heir. Connecting the written history of the operative Masons with that of its speculative successor, we have a trustworthy and continuous history that will carry us back to a period many centuries before the time of the so-called revival in the year 1717. Sometime in the preceding century, there was an era of which there are documents to prove that membership conditions were changing and that a speculative element was growing in the operative system. 
a history of Freemasonry, of which the operative and the speculative systems are divisions, intimately connected, is required to go farther than 1717, and to the rise and the progress of the operative art as the forerunner and the founder of the speculative science. The accredited details of the condition of operative masonry in the Middle Ages, of its connection, if it had any, with other organizations, and its later changes into speculative masonry will be the historical account, the chronicles and narrative of Freemasonry. Its prehistoric account will be found in the myths and legends, which, unfortunately, were for a long time accepted by the great body of the craft as a true history, but which, though still credited as formerly by many, are placed by most modern Masonic scholars in their proper position. These legends, some of which are preserved in the rituals, and some are becoming almost out of use, have a common foundation in that traditional narrative which is known as the legend of the craft. Footnote, the Reverend Brother Woodford calls it the legend of the guild, but we prefer the title here used because it does not lead thus early in our studies to awkward questions as to the relation of the guilds of the Middle Ages, say, from the 4th to the 15th centuries, to Freemasonry. End footnote. This relic must first be understood before we can, with satisfaction, attempt to study the legendary history of the institution. But this legend is of such length and of so much importance that it demands for its consideration a separate and distinct chapter. We by no means intend to advance the proposition that all the myths and legends now taught in the lodges or preserved in the works of Masonic writers are to be found in the legend of the craft. Only the most important, those that are still recognized by the less critical portion of the fraternity as genuine and accredited reports, receive their first notice in the legend of the craft. Although they are indebted for their present fuller form to larger unfolding and ripening, afterwards made in the course of the construction of the modern ritual. And that ends chapter two. Chapter three, the old manuscripts. Anderson tells us in the second edition of the Book of Constitutions that in the year 1719, at some private lodges, several very valuable manuscripts concerning the fraternity, their lodges, regulations, charges, secrets, and usages were too hastily burnt by scrupulous brothers that these papers might not fall into strange hands. Footnote is, this is from Anderson's Constitutions, page 111 of the 1738 edition. Fortunately, this destruction was not general. The writings mentioned by Anderson were undoubtedly those old constitutions of the operative masons, several copies of which, that had escaped the fiery sacrifices described by him, have since been discovered in the British Museum, in old libraries, or in the archives of lodges, and have been published by those who have discovered them. And the footnote now is, among these writers, we must not omit to mention Brother William James Hugan, easily the leader of all Masonic discoverers, who made in 1872 a valuable contribution to this literature under the title of The Old Charges of the British Freemasons, the value of which is increased by the learned preface of Brother A.F.A. A. Woodford. Since the first part of this paragraph was written by Brother Mackey, a second series of The Old Charges has been published by Brother Hugan, and in the reports of the famous literary lodge, the Ars Quator Coronatorum, and elsewhere, there have appeared many excellent essays on the subject by brothers R.F. Gould, G.E.W. Begman, R.H. Baxter, and others who have, by close study, found out points of great interest in locating the places where these records were written, the relation they bear to our rituals, and other important matters. End footnote. These are the documents which have received the title of Old Records, Old Charges, or Old Constitutions. 
Their general character is the same. Indeed, there is so much likeness and almost identity to be noted among their contents as to cause the belief that they are copies of some earlier document not yet recovered. The earliest of these documents is a manuscript poem entitled The Constitutionis Artis Geometria Secundum Euclidium, and the footnote is, meaning, the constitutions of the geometrical art according to Euclid. The latter lived 300 years before Christ, and his books on the elements of geometry are still in great favor. Which is preserved in the British Museum, and that's the end of the footnote, which is preserved in the British Museum, and which was published in 1840 by J.O. Hallowell in his early history of Freemasonry in England. A second and enlarged edition was published by him in 1844. Reprints have since appeared, and especially useful one being that of Quatuor Coronati Lodge in 1889. The date of this manuscript is supposed to be about the year 1390, though a few critics have preferred to place it a little later. The next of the English manuscripts is that which was published in 1861 by Brother Matthew Cook from the original in the British Museum, and which was once the property of Miss Caroline Baker, from whom it was purchased in 1859 by the curators of the museum. The date of this manuscript is supposed to be about 1450. Some have credited it with it being even older. All the English Masonic students of these writings agree in the opinion that this manuscript is next in antiquity to the Hallowell poem, though there is a difference of nearly 100 years between their dates. It is, however, more guesswork to say that there were not other manuscripts in the intervening period. But, as none have been discovered, they must be considered as non-existent, and it is impossible even to judge, from any groundwork on which we can stand, whether if such manuscripts did ever exist. They had more of the features of the Hallowell or of the Cook document, or whether they presented the form of a gradual change in chain from one to the other. The Cook MS is far more developed in its arrangement and its details than the Hallowell, and contains the legend of the craft in a more extended form. In the absence of any other earlier document of the same kind, it must be considered as the matrix, or mold as it were, in which the legend, in the form in which it appears in all the later manuscripts, was first shaped. In the year 1815, James Dowland published in the Gentleman's Magazine, and the footnote is Gentleman's Magazine, Volume 85, page 489, May 1815, end footnote, the copy of an old manuscript which had lately come into his possession, and which he described as being written on a long roll of parchment, in a very clear hand, apparently early in the 17th century, and very probably as copied from a manuscript of an earlier date. Although not as old as the Hallowell, and the footnote is, this manuscript is frequently known as Regius MS because it once formed part of the Royal Library founded by Henry VII and given to the British Museum by George II. End footnote. And Cook MSS. It is deemed of very great value because it comes next to them in date and is apparently the first of that series of later manuscripts, so many of which have, within the past few years, been recovered. It is evidently based on the Cook MS, although not an exact copy of it. But the later manuscripts comprising that series, at the head of which it stands, so much resemble it in details, and even in phrases, that they must either have been copies made from it, or, what is far more probable, they are copies of some older in common original, of which it is also a copy. The original manuscript, which was used by Dowland for publication in the Gentleman's Magazine, cannot now be found by us. But Brother Woodford and other competent authorities set the year 1550 as being about its date. Several other manuscript constitutions, whose dates vary from the middle of the 16th to the beginning of the 18th century, have since been discovered and published, principally by the industrious labors of Brothers Hugan and Woodford in England and Brother Lyon in Scotland. 
The following list gives the titles and probable dates of the most important of these early manuscripts. Footnote. See a list of nearly 80 of these old manuscripts in the Mackey, Hugen, Hawkins Encyclopedia of Freemasonry for dates, owners, etc. And footnote. And the list is Hallowell MS, 1390, Cook MS, 1450, Dowland MS, 1550, Grand Lodge MS number 1, 1583, Lansdowne MS, 1600, York MS number 1, 1600, John T. Thorpe MS, 1629, Sloan MS, number 3848, T.W. Q.M.S. 1680, Lodge of Antiquity M.S. 1686, William Watson M.S. 1687, Almwick, or if you're from England, Annick, uh, M.S. 1701, Papworth M.S. 1720. Nearly all of these manuscripts, the Hallowell being an exception, begin with an invocation to the Trinity, then follow remarks on the seven liberal arts and sciences, of which the fifth, or geometry, is said to be masonry. This is succeeded by a traditional history of masonry from the days of Lamech to the reign of King Athelstan of England. The manuscripts conclude with a series of charges or regulations for the government of the craft while they were of a purely operative character. The traditional history which forms the first part of these old records is full of historical errors with mistakes in dates and even with absurdities. And yet it is valuable because it forms the germ of that system of Masonic study, which was afterward developed by such writers as Anderson, Preston, and Oliver, and from whose errors the iconoclasts of the present day are successfully striving to free the institution, so as to give it a more rational and methodical history. This traditional history is presented to us in all the manuscripts in about the same form, or at least with very slight differences of words and phrases. These differences are, indeed, so slight that they suggest the strong probability of a common source for all these documents, either in the mouth-to-ear teaching of the older Masons, or in some earlier record that has not yet been recovered. The tradition seems always to have secured the full belief of the fraternity as a true relation of the origin and the progress of Masonry. Therefore, it has received the title of the Legend of the Craft. From the great care with which many manuscripts containing this legend were destroyed in 1719 by scrupulous brothers who were opposed to its publication, we might believe that it formed a part of the private instructions of the Guild of Operative Masons. If so, it lost this secret character by the publication of Robert's edition of the Constitutions in 1722. In the earlier German and French Masonic records, such as the Ordenug, Der Steinmetzen, or Constitutions of the Stonemasons, at Strasbourg in 1459, and the Reglements sur les arts et Laws on the Arts and Trades, at Paris in the 12th century, there is no appearance of this legend. But it does not follow from this that no such legend existed among the French and German Masons. Indeed, as it is well known that early English operative masonry was derived from the continent, it is natural to suppose that the Continental Masons brought the legend into England. There is evidence in the English, French, and German manuscripts of additions from the one to the other. 
the reference in the legend to Charles Martel connects with the French masonry of the 12th century, and the invocation to the four crowned martyrs in the Hallowell manuscript compares similarly with that in the German statutes. Footnote, Die Heiligen wir gekronten Ordenung der Steinmetzen zu Strasbourg 1459, and in all the other German constitutions. Findel thinks that this invocation to the four crowned martyrs must be regarded as a most decided proof of the identity of the German and English stonemasons and of their having one common parentage. End footnote. The importance of this legend and the influence that it exerted for a long period on the craft as the accredited history of the institution makes it necessary that it should form a part of any work that professes to treat of the history of Freemasonry. The fact of the legend having been known in England for so many centuries led Brother A.F.A. Woodford to suggest that the proposed Lodge of Students of Freemasonry number 2076 to be formed under the English Constitution at London should be called Quatuor Cornati, a proposal that was accepted in spite of the singular name. And that's the end of Chapter 3. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.